0: Available at farmnewsnow.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Agriculture through a modern lens. This is the AgriPod with Alice McFarland. On this
1: episode, a new survey shows most farmers believe a proposed fertilizer emissions target will not remain voluntary. That was one of the findings of a poll of 546 Western Canadian farmers. The question of whether or not you agree with the government's 30% fertilizer emission reduction target by the end of the decade, 72% strongly disagreed. And another question on the way emissions were calculated, 82% said it was not achievable. Greg Dunlop is the president of iFusion in Guelph, Ontario, and he'll share the results of the survey. This past week marked the five-year anniversary of the free trade deal between Canada and the European Union. The Canadian Cattle Association supports the deal, but says technical barriers are preventing the agreement from reaching its full potential. CCA General Manager Ryder Lee will explain the good and bad parts of the agreement. After the break, Greg Dunlop.
0: Digging into the topics that matter to you, the AgriPod with Alice McFarland.
1: With me is Greg Dunlop, the owner of iFusion Research based in Guelph, Ontario, and we're going to be talking about a new survey that talks about concerns of Western farmers about the national target to reduce nitrous oxide emissions by the application of synthetic fertilizer. First of all, Greg, uh, tell us about uh, iFusion Research uh, and tell us about what you do.
2: iFusion Research is a a Canadian marketing research uh, company. Uh, We're 100% 100% focused on the agricultural industry. So we do a lot of surveys with farmers for clients that generally in the crop protection and, and seed industry, the bulk of it, uh, there are others too as well uh, that are related to agriculture. But I, I want to emphasize this particular survey was not sponsored by any company. You know, we've been sort of hearing about the issue and certainly, you know, reading it in the, in the farm press, et cetera, as well. There seemed to be a lot of, you know, strong opinions on it. You know, we got the sense that there was um, a lot of farmers that were questioning the way that the uh, fertilizer emissions uh, calculations were done and and, uh, the fear over a number of aspects related to this with regards to, uh, you know, keeping their yields up and everything like that. And so... The federal government had a discussion document out, so we decided that we would want to quantify this uh, a little bit, see see what farmers are thinking.
1: Now, we know that 546 Western Canadian farmers responded to the nine-questions survey. 242 were from Alberta, 193 in Saskatchewan, 111 in Manitoba. And uh, lots of uh, information has been gathered from that, but... I guess what it boils down to is that there is really a a low level of trust of farmers with this federal government.
2: I introduced that question towards the end of it because I wanted to know, because I know the Ag Minister has been out and there seemed to be, you know, a real, I wouldn't use the word desperation, but they really wanted to make sure that people understood from their perspective that it was completely voluntary. So I asked the question basically, what do they trust that will stay that way? And um, almost three-quarters of them did not trust that it would stay voluntary, that it would move to some type of mandatory uh, situation with regards to fertilizer use. So there's a lot of mistrust on this particular program in Western Canada, no question. I mean, I knew that anecdotally that uh, there was a number of farmers who had issues with it. And like, for example, you know, and, and I also saw the some of the grower organizations sort of speak out against the particular way it's been rolled out, but I was surprised that it was to that degree. Yes, I thought it would be a little bit more split, but uh, it's quite evident that the majority, uh, the vast majority, I would say, you know, from a description point of view, that uh, don't agree with it and think it's going to be tough to meet, etc.
1: Why do you think there is such a low level of trust between the federal government and Western Canadian farmers?
2: I think the real issue is sort of the top-down nature of it you know i know they've maybe had discussions with you know some organizations etc but there is a general um, mistrust because there's a number of things that have happened in agriculture as you're probably aware of right the issue with the grudge to the you know meat labeling and them having to back off that once they got flack on it to their carbon taxes the new diesel fuel standards that come coming etc so and then, you know, on top of that in Saskatchewan, you had a little incident with regards to federal environmental people sort of going on farms and testing them without necessarily the knowledge of the owner. So I think all those things could lead to a little bit of, of mistrust.
1: Do you think it's as simple an issue as Ottawa taking a more collaborative approach on the issue and uh, talking more with farmers?
2: For the last Almost 20 years now, I've been involved in doing survey work with corn growers across Canada with regards to the use of uh, BT corn, because the, the overall concern has always been that uh, overuse of the BT corn would lead to more insect resistance. So they've always had best management practices for that, and it's completely voluntary by the farmer, but the provincial government, extension people, grow organizations, The CFIA, the Food Inspection Agency, who regulates seed, the industry, et cetera, have sort of all formed a group called the Canadian Corn Pest Coalition. You know, they meet on a regular basis, and the whole concept is how can we educate, how can we create awareness for the best management practices? And I know from tracking this, because I've been involved from the very beginning, I think the first survey we did was 2001, has greatly improved the adoption of the best management practices. And they work with the retailers and the agronomists at the retailers and the provincial extension people. You know, so they're all out there sort of educating, showing people maybe how to do it. It's a result of the new technology that has helped. So it's an excellent sort of type of model That if you want to have, you know, if you have a particular goal in mind and you have multi-stakeholders of doing this without being punitive, without being heavy-handed on it, right? And I think that would be, from my opinion, would be a good type of model to use for this particular area.
1: Greg Dunlop is the owner of iFusion Research. His company surveyed prairie farmers on their thoughts on the federal proposal to reduce nitrous oxide emissions from synthetic fertilizer by 30% by the end of the decade. That survey found 83% opposed to the concept. After the break, Ryder Lee with Canadian Cattlemen's Association talks about the five-year anniversary of a trade agreement between Canada and Europe.
0: Digging into the topics that matter to you, the AgriPod with Alice McFarlane.
1: Ryder Lee is the general manager of the Canadian Cattle Association, and we're talking about the five-year anniversary of the trade agreement between Canada and the European Union. And uh, Ryder, the association has been very supportive of the deal, but there's still some technical barriers that are really preventing um, full potential being realized in this?
0: duty-free access within the agreement, you know, 65,000 tons is nothing to sneeze at for Canadian access. So that's the win. The frustration has been we haven't been able to realize that because the other barriers that continue to get in the way.
1: Now, the EU uh, does not view Canadian food safety system as a whole. So what does that really mean?
0: Well, basically, we try to negotiate access on the basis of if it's good enough for our consumers, it should be good enough for yours, recognizing that our food safety system is robust and we're not there with the EU on this agreement. So they've got this and this and this and this requirement and, oh, and we're going to add this one on there or, well, we don't allow this thing some of those things are things that Canadian plants use, and our food safety systems is those are positive for consumers, for shelf life, for other things like that. So we really would like them to say, yeah, if it's good enough to sell to Canadians, it's good enough for Europe to import.
1: Are some countries just indirectly putting up barriers uh, to prevent uh, trade from flowing normally, or is this, being done to protect European producers or is it just a way of saying that um, this is the way it works in the EU and you must adapt to it?
0: I think it's both. Most countries are prone to say something like that and if they're not focusing on their consumers especially so this costs consumers in Europe in not being able to access products that they might want to so that's unfortunate and there is an element of protectionism in there. No doubt. No doubt. So we see this globally. This isn't necessarily specific to Europe. Maybe they're just leaders in the ability to finding other ways to protect their industry. And and we've seen it on the competitiveness of production. If your competitiveness is less and you have less access to modern tools like we do in North America, then you're going to find other ways to compensate for that.
1: As food prices rise, um, do you hope that European governments would ease regulations to allow more Canadian beef for import if there turns out that there is a cost benefit for the consumer?
0: You'd hope. But time and time again, governments around the world have leaned towards protectionism instead of leaning towards consumer access to products from international trade So the history being a guide, I don't think that's always enough to get it done. There needs to be positive generally for their trading industry. And we see that with beef. You know, this has been a great game for beef exports from the EU. So it can work both ways. They need to get there. So it's never a straight line from, hey, this would be great for your consumers. Just do this. No, there's lots of ways that countries around the world will put that further down the list than you think they should. It's that very high end. They're paying a top dollar for cuts that we'd recognize. When you get into the stores in, in the EU, you know, there's room to bring in that grain fed beef genetics steaks into there that can do very well. It's a high value market, but The thing is, our plants aren't going to run only away for the EU for only certain parts. You need to have a broader access and a way to sell all the parts of that animal around the world. And this agreement doesn't allow for that. So it's not profitable to align your plant for just those parts that go to the EU.
1: On the flip side of this, just how much European beef is coming into Canada?
0: It was about 11 times in 2021 and 11 times more. So in that 16,000 tons of beef. So it's disappointing and, and that ratio is looking to grow. So we've got a case to be made over there that, hey, are we trading partners? This is looking pretty good for your producers. Let's make sure it's a two-way street.
1: What kind of European beef is coming to Canada? and Is that hurting our Canadian producers?
2: Well, it's that part where you
0: can't always see exactly, but where is that bidder not bidding for Canadian beef or sitting on the sidelines? And and a good chunk of it is in eastern Canada and in some of that veal market. You know, you've got a lot of dairy-based beef coming out of the EU, a lot of sausage coming out of different countries, and uh, it's varied. And of course, it impacts. It's it's displacing some of the things that uh, we were providing before they showed up. And sometimes it it, it won't be an impact because we found another buyer and maybe they're higher value. And some of this is lower value coming in, so it works both ways. We're more interested in yeah, if they can access our market and we've got consumers that want to buy their product, that's fine if we can access your consumers and sell them our product because I think we compete just fine. But uh, right now, the competitiveness isn't on a level playing field.
1: Is there a dispute mechanism in the agreement with the EU?
0: I'm not at that level of familiarity. Right now, the piece that is, is frustrating us is some approvals that go right through to the European Parliament. So if those products aren't approved there, then our plants can't use them. So if we can get to a spot where, A, those are approved, but B, more importantly, we have systems approval, then we're getting somewhere that this can be meaningful and be meaningful in our big plants and start targeting market development in that part of the world.
1: Are these discussions happening on an ongoing basis?
0: They are. And, you know, some of the feedback that we got last week was that needs to continue. There are supporters in parts of uh, the government and in industry, but they need to keep hearing and keep getting pressured. And and that works well with, uh, you know, we're also working on trade with the U.K. and getting that, you know, post-Brexit. They need to write their own agreements so we're focusing on that, and the two kind of go well together.
1: Ryder Lee is the General Manager of the Canadian Cattle Association. This is the Agriculture News and Review for the week of September 19, 2022. The latest Sask Wheat Market Outlook said the U.S. lowered the world wheat and corn supplies by 6 million tons, pointing to tight supply. But market analyst Marlena Borsch said concerns about a potential recession, interest rate hikes and inflation raise issues around demand. The U.S. rail strike was averted, but export should not be too strong because North American wheat was placed at a huge premium to Russian wheat. Borsch said farmers should sell only what is needed for cash flow and store the rest. Expect to see lower beef supplies next year as more cattle are going to slaughter in the United States this year combination of drought in the western states and short feed supplies are the two main issues mark jechanowski is the u.s department of agriculture outlook board chair he said current prices are good and look to improve in 2023 he expected a 7.5 percent increase for the average u.s steer price it's a different forecast for pork with prices weaker than anticipated this year Approximately a 2% decline in price, with U.S. pork production expected to rise about 1.5% next year. Brisk producer deliveries at harvest are filling space in country elevators. Following shipping week five in early September, the terminals were at 61% capacity, compared to 43% during the previous week. Grain companies and farmers are wondering if CP and CN rail will be able to handle the larger crop this year. Even at the early point of the 2022-23 crop year, there are red flags, according to Wade. Sobkowicz, the Executive Director of the Western Grain Elevators Association. He hopes the railways come through, but there are doubts. The railways hope Mother Nature will be kinder this winter, following last November's flooding in BC and extreme cold during the first couple of weeks of the year. Researchers at the University of Missouri found 82% of U.S. farm household income now comes from off-farm sources. Most farmers cited reliable income as the top reason for off-farm employment, as one-half of farm households have negative farm income in a typical year. Health and retirement benefits were also cited as key reasons for off-farm jobs within farm households. The study found only 6.5% of workers in rural counties were working in agriculture, compared to 15% in 1970. Off-farm jobs are especially critical for young and beginning farmers as they build their businesses. A company is responding to the ongoing crop protection product shortages by starting production of 2,4-D at its Georgia plant. Adama Canada said by moving 2,4-D production to North America for the first time, the company is helping ensure the product is available this fall for farmers who need it. General Manager Corny Thiessen said supply chain issues continue to plague the global crop protection industry and it's much easier to guarantee supply when they can ship within North America by road or rail. This is the first time Adama has produced 2,4-D at its Georgia plant. This week marked the first official day of fall and farmers across the prairies are hoping for good weather to wrap up the harvest. According to Old Farmers' Almanac managing editor Jack Burnett, October should be three degrees warmer with above average precipitation. And then comes winter. He says winter on the prairies will be colder than normal, precipitation greater than normal and snow about normal. He said the eastern parts of the prairies into Manitoba, the northern parts of Saskatchewan and Alberta, will tend to be drier than western Manitoba, southern Saskatchewan and southern Alberta, which will be normal or slightly wetter. He expected that the cold spells to begin in the middle of November and then run through the first week of December. Snow is expected to hit the last week of November. The Toronto Maple Leafs will take to the ice wearing a patch reading MILK on their sweaters during the 2022-23 season and beyond. The NHL team announced a sponsorship deal with Dairy Farmers of Ontario, which sees the logo on the upper right corner of their home blue, road white and alternate black jerseys beginning in the fall of 2022. The club said this is a multi-year partnership to support healthy active living. Dairy Farmers of Ontario announced as part of the deal they will donate 5,000 Maple Leaf tickets to community youth groups.